You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fatter, Scott Eklund, and we have a football game Saturday night, 7.30, kickoff against Utah. The best team in Utah, the one that's not afraid to travel to Seattle to play, but uh, 7.30 kickoff will be aired on ESPN. Before we get started, just want to apologize to everybody. We've had some issues with the site, not only the site, but uh, Amazon Web Services, which is uh, probably the biggest cloud um computing uh, site out there. They have a huge market share and that's where the site is run on, on Amazon Web Service. And they've had huge outages all day, not just affecting dogman.com, but a lot of other huge sites. But it's been a big problem, not only for us, but a lot of the country, big internet outage, big uh, outage for a lot of web services with Amazon Web Services. And Hopefully we get that resolved here sometime soon. It looks as though we're recording this. Things are starting to come back a little bit, but not to a hundred percent. So, uh, appreciate you guys bearing with us. I've been getting emails and texts and people just, it's funny because we just think we do this thing in our own little bubble, Chris, and it's funny. I mean, it's really crazy how, um, many people are almost addicted to our site and, uh, who they are. And uh, even, I get surprised um, quite often on who's visiting the site and how important it is to them because we just do what we do at times. Are you a little bit surprised at times? No, never surprised by anything in 2020. 2020 <laughs> is I have lost all ability to be surprised by anything in 2020. And the bottom line is it's, it, it is weird. I'm not trying to say it's anything like Washington football or, or football in general. But, you know, Jimmy Lake did say that he felt the team – that handled the adversity the best, the pandemic the best, you know, was the most disciplined, the most focused on, on what they needed to get accomplished, would be the one that would come out of this the best. And so hopefully we can come out of this thing with, uh, you know, hopefully even better than before. And But, yeah, this is the first time I can remember kind of a major outage on the 24-7 network um, in terms of something that would really impact uh, what we're doing. And on top of it, you know, we've got a phenomenal, um, you know, phenomenal deal that we can, I suppose we can talk about a little bit later at the end, but, yeah, we'll talk about um, later. you know, we've got a, a bl- kind of a pre-Black Friday thing going on that we, we wanted to spring on everyone and, and, uh, yeah, that, that's making things a little tougher. Remember the worst outage we ever had, Chris? Remember the worst? Yes. The absolute well, I don't, I don't worst. Remember the, I don't remember if it was the worst outage, but I certainly remember it was the most notorious outage, which was when we were, um, Oregon week. Yeah, we were starting to do stuff with Fox, and um, they and it was the week that right? we were playing. That, that was the week that Washington was playing at Oregon, and I don't remember what the result of the actual game was, but I oh, do remember horrible. being up until two or three in the morning trying to get stories done and put on the network. But because they were having so many problems, it felt like it took us five times for each story just to get it published and get it 
done the way we needed to get done. Steve, Summer, was, Steve Summers, the Oregon right uh, guy who ran uh, eDuck at the time, him in the press box and just pounding his fists on it. And you trying to upload stories and it would take like 10, 15 minutes to upload and then it would time out. And we were just going crazy. And I think we didn't leave the press box till two or three in the morning. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, bad. It, was, it, was a, it was a legendary evening and it, it almost had nothing to do with the football. Now, I think probably part of that was the fact that I think I'm pretty sure Washington probably got smoked, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but that was the, that was probably like the cherry on top. It was like, okay, well, we don't have anything that anyone actually has any interest in, in, in reading or, uh, listening to because the, the football was that bad from Washington's point of view. But it would be nice if we could just get it out there and get it over with and move to the next chapter, the next game. But it's just, it just would not happen. I, I mean, just remember, I just remember looking over at you and you'd code a post it and you'd just be staring at your computer screen and staring. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it would take 10, 15 minutes before it timed out and you would just hands would go in the air like, what the hell? Yeah. But if uh, you want to talk about saving your work, we, we were like, <laughs> we were saving our work like every two seconds. Just to make yeah. sure that we had something to, to fall back on in case, you know, there was a timeout, like you said, or if there was or something else happened that just, it was, um, yeah, it was real Keystone Cops that day. But we've been doing this since 1997, so 20, 23 plus years, April 1st, 1997 is when we've launched. So we've been doing this a long, long time and we've been around the block a few times. But, uh, with that being said, um, the move over to 24-7 has been um, huge for us. Um, it's been a, a big deal financially for us. We've had a lot more resources. Um, you know, and it's great to – I remember when we were with the Fox Network and Greg Biggins was over at ESPN, how frustrating that was. So, But to have a team with us, you know, like Greg Biggins and Brandon Huffman and Blair Angulo and – you know, some of the national guys and then just the people that work at 24-7, um, you know, we've taken it to a whole different level. And do you remember the days, Chris, when, you know, we'd run three or four stories a week and then it was one a day? And what are we doing, like six or seven a day now? I love those days. <laughs> yeah, I miss the times of four per week. That's fun. Yeah, no, that yeah. Was, where where did we go wrong? I think you're making. We were little... making a lot less money then, so <laughs> yeah, you know, quality yeah. of life. Yeah, I was. Said I wasn't even taking a salary back then. I think you were working yeah, at. Like, I like, like I said, I love those days. Yeah, you were working at Hot Poop and Dog Man. You were, you were in heaven. Well, I was at AT and T. You sure you were an ATT or were you still at Enterprise? Uh, no, well, I guess I, I didn't start working at AT&T till 2002, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Real jobs. And, and just an FYI, if we were doing this on KJR, we'd be getting texts. Talk some damn football. I didn't tune in for this crap. Talk some football. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. It's 2020. It's a weird week. We just found out literally like 12 hours ago or. 18 hours ago, who Washington's going to play. So you can indulge, you can give us a little indulgence on this particular podcast. Yeah, boy. Hey, Scott, just, uh, with this whole thing that went down starting on Sunday, how much egg does BYU have on their face? And, you know, they came out 14th in the, in the college football ranking. How much did what they did impact the optics of that program? Oh, well, I mean, look, it's 
will it really impact it going forward other than with Washington fans? Probably not. But, um, yeah, I mean, and Washington fans have always had a little place in their heart for BYU after 1984 um, and what happened there. So I, I don't, I don't think Washington fans will have any love loss for BYU regardless of what happened. But, you know, I mean, they have this motto of any, anywhere, anytime, any place, blah, blah, blah. And then you find out all the caveats they were putting on stuff and they got fine print. Yeah, all that stuff. And, you know, let's be honest. Most of these, most of these schools have some sort of fine print that they put in any contract that they're going to throw on the table for you. But, you know, I mean, this, honestly, this worked out the way I wanted it to work out. I wanted Washington to play someone in conference. I did not want them to play somebody outside of the conference. Part of it is you want to have a school with those testing protocols. If, you know, if, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, quarantine an entire position group because one person gets a, gets COVID. I don't want to see Washington have that happen to them, regardless of whether these guys are safe or not, or they're asymptomatic or not. If that means that Washington can't play football, I want Washington to play football all the way through December 19th. So far, that's been the case, knock on wood. And let's just hope it continues to be the case. Well, I don't want Washington facing off against a team that doesn't have the same testing protocols that Washington has, if that's what we're going to rely on. I think it's fine to play other teams, but because of the stringency of the way the Pac-12 has things set up and the quarantining and the contact tracing and all those different things, because of all those rules, I wanted Washington to stay in conference and I wanted them to face off against the team they probably weren't going to be playing, whether that was Utah, uh, Arizona State, which obviously had their game canceled because of Arizona State, USC, um, you know, any Colorado, any of these teams that Washington can be playing, I wanted them to be playing them. So, um, you know, the fact that this worked out the way it did, I even said to somebody, I said, God, I hope there's a way we can play Utah or Arizona State or someone else in conference rather than San Diego State or, or BYU or, you know, it was interesting. They said there was a fourth team, which, who do you guys think the fourth team was? Well, there were Wyoming was, I think, listed. Might have been Wyoming. Is that the other one? Okay. So, so it was Wyoming, BYU, and San Diego State, and then Utah was the fourth one that or they Colorado. had. Colorado. Colorado could have been. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, I, I like, I like it that it worked out the way it did. And I think it works out great for Washington because yeah. guess what? They get, they get four home games before they have to go on the road against Oregon. Hey, hey guys, hey. I was going to, I was going to add too. To, to add to Scott's reasons why I think it was important that they stayed in conference and, I, and the reason why the Pac-12 made it so hard to schedule a non-conference game, for instance, the Pac-12 teams need as many data points right now as they can get. If, if, any, if Washington, Oregon, or USC hold any desire to try to get into a playoff, the playoff, and I know that sounds so crazy right now, but if they have any dreams of getting that far, They've got to play as many conference games as they can. Because right now, yeah, playing BYU would be great. Top eight team, whatever. Do you want me to list off the teams that BYU has beaten this year? Navy, Troy, Louisiana Tech, Texas San Antonio, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise State, and North Alabama. Boise State's win, the win over Boise State, that was big. I mean, they, they blew out Boise State in Boise. That's a great win, no doubt about it. But is that the resume of a team that should be a top 10 
team in the country? Nah, never. Not in any other year other than 2020. So the bottom line is Washington would be well served to play anybody else in the conference compared to playing a BYU or a San Diego State, period. I think the only way that they would have done those is if it was absolutely worst case and there was no other Pac-12 teams that they could have played. I think if they couldn't have played Utah, I think there probably would have been a way that they could have tried to play Colorado. Because as we're recording this right now, I don't think I don't think Colorado has an opponent. Yeah, do you think, think do you think BYU's taking a hit image wise overall? Of this? course they have. Oh, absolutely, they're taking a huge hit, and it and it's not because the game probably wouldn't have been able to be played anyway because the Pac-12 is going to look out for themselves and rightly so. But the bottom line is. You don't go and put on your forehead on a, you know, on a, th- a thing, whatever that was. You don't, you don't put any team, any place, any time. And then all of a sudden when Washington calls you, remember, Washington called BYU. Wasn't the other way around. BYU wasn't looking for a game. BYU wasn't supposed to even play a game this weekend. And they probably won't. They came back for one practice. And now they didn't practice on, on Tuesday. They practiced Monday if, to, if my, Information's correct, but they didn't practice Tuesday. And, and the bottom line is, they're not playing any team, any place, any any time. They're not, there's no way they're going to do that. So yes, they should take a huge PR hit for that because it was stupid. It was stupid. They should own up to it and say, you know what, we shouldn't have said it. But it's already done. Yeah, it is. You know, but uh, what was it? Pat Hill was the one who originated that. But uh, you and know, they would, and they would actually go out and do it. And it's not like Washington struggled at BYU last year. At BYU, I mean, they just they handled them. Yeah, um, and, and and not just that, but even in Seattle, if the game had been in Seattle, go back to 2018. That was as comprehensive a win that year as any. They beat them 35-7, and it wasn't even that close. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, I just thought that um, they they took a big hit, uh, and I I think it did have an impact on uh, the rankings. When you take a look at their schedule and, uh, you know, it leaking out, you know, the details of this leaking out, you know, and I think a lot of it came from Washington, to be honest with you. I'm guessing they were not real happy with Washington, the way they played out. So I'm guessing if Jen calls him to try to schedule games down the road that, uh, yeah, they probably may not pick up the phone as fast as they would have last week. So, um, but BYU, I mean, it's possible that they still could play BYU, um, you know, depending on what happens with the rest of the schedule, but what have they got left, Scott? They've got Utah this week and is it Stanford next week? Stanford, then Oregon, and then, um, the conference title game if they're, if they make it Yeah. or, or the crossover, which Jimmy talked about today. If, they are going to have a crossover in Washington. Either Washington nor Washington State is playing for the conference title. Then he thinks it should be an Apple Cup matchup that weekend. It just makes me so frustrated that Larry Scott couldn't have got his act together, that it took letters from the players from USC to finally motivate the Pac-12 guys to get this season going. This thing should have been done. I mean, they should have been able to start the season a couple weeks prior, but uh, spilt milk, but just... I mean, Washington's only played two games. Two games, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Two games. So, well, well so Utah's only played one. Yeah. Yeah, they've only played one. And, and um, Arizona State's going to miss three straight games. Well, I mean, if you would have taken bets at the beginning of the year, who would have the most problem with COVID? Would Arizona State have been the odds-on favorite? 
Uh, I, I would have placed bets on Arizona State. Yeah, probably. Yeah, for sure. I would have placed bets on them. I would have been, I would have placed bets on, uh, one of the, one of the LA teams as well. Yeah, and Wazoo. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, the thing about Wazoo or even Oregon State to that set, to that extent is that being in that small town, if that small town has an outbreak and there's a problem, you know everyone's at some point's probably going to get affected. It's and just Arizona, there's just no way around it. In Arizona State with Mill Avenue. Well, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's also just that idea in general that uh, you know it's when the weather's nice and you're outside, everyone's going to say, "Yeah, no problem." Everyone told us we could go outside and do whatever we want. So, yeah, yeah it, whether it's a prevailing attitude or whether it's just how they respond to it or how they feel about it, they're they're you know different different. Um, cultures and different structures within that city or town or whatever you're talking about, they're going to deal with it a lot differently. Yeah, and that's is, why I think you're seeing generally in, in the bigger cities now that once it's actually become apparent that this is a problem, um, they've handled it probably a little bit better than um, the smaller towns have in rural areas. Yeah, and the talk with Jimmy Lake this morning, Scott, it didn't seem like um, not finding out until last night really had any impact on their preparation at all. No, he said they gambled and they, they gambled correctly in that they, they started prepping for, uh, Utah partly because he said the, the fallback, the default for the conference is to play conference teams if you have something canceled. And so he said, we guessed that it would be Utah. We practiced on Utah yesterday and we found out. So we, they're actually not going to miss a day of prep, which is something I think uh, all of us would have said, oh, they're at least going to miss one day, but they're not missing any. And yeah, they don't usually practice Monday yeah. anyways. Yeah. So Tuesday they practiced on, uh, Utah. Had it been BYU, they would have scrapped everything and started prepping for U- BYU. But as it is, they prepped for Utah. They, they practiced for them yesterday. They practiced for them today. And, uh, they'll, they'll, I don't know. Did, did, I guess we didn't find out if there was a practice on Thursday. I'm assuming there will be on uh, on uh, Thanksgiving Day, and then um, Friday they'll do their walkthrough, and Saturday they'll play. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. I think I, I I don't know what Utah's situation is like, but I know Kyle Whittingham was on record saying that they were pre- they were prepping for a couple different scenarios, and I think he said they they had like 40 percent on Washington and whatever. So I'm not sure that Utah really got affected all that much by by this either. I don't know. Again, I don't know if they practice Monday or not typically. So I don't know if their schedule had to get altered at all. But it does really feel like you know, even though this was kind of a not a, not a super worst case scenario, but definitely a, a, one of the worst case scenarios that you can put out there, considering neither team thought they were going to play each other this year. All things considered, to not essentially lose any practice time during the week it's pretty uh it's pretty good work all things considered i think that's that's well done people are asking why is this a home game instead of it being at utah but um a couple of reasons um first of all that both teams were scheduled to be on the road this week this was supposed to be a week where washington was at uh, washington state i can't remember where utah was supposed to be arizona state at arizona state yeah yeah so one uh one team was going to uh have an extra home game but Essentially, it came down to logistics for the TV crew and availability of what's needed to broadcast a game. And it's much easier to do in Seattle 
because they seem to have a lot more of the equipment closer to here than it is to Salt Lake City. So um, TV makes the rules, right, Scott? Uh, yeah, I think – I mean, we should have just said that TV – it was in play here, and that was why we're that was why the game was set up for Washington. You know, it's interesting too, um, Chris, because we were talking about um, you know the um, second half of the Arizona game last week and some of the things that they were doing. You know, with the fake punt and the extra point thing. You know, going to the swinging gates and just a lot of stuff that they put on film that you know Utah now has to take a look at coming into this game. And a lot of time is going to have to be spent, a lot more time on the fake punt, a lot more time on the extra point. But And that takes away from other things that they could work on. But uh, Jimmy Lake in the second half was definitely putting things on film for the next opponent to think about. Well, right. I guess I guess in theory it doesn't really matter, right, who, who the next opponent could be, especially in 2020. They might have to assume that it could be literally anybody in the Pac-12 they could be playing. But I think more to the point, and, and again, Jimmy Lake did talk about this, um, in terms of his opening statement for today, how how pleased he was that he was able to get um, so many guys. You know, he he called it they basically emptied their bench um, completely to play 63 guys in that game against Arizona, and to do that, I think was probably the most pleasing thing for him because now not only do they have some film available of guys, but now you're giving an opportunity for those guys who've worked really hard. All year long, you know, whether it was trying to get ready for spring or trying to get ready for fall or just, you know, staying disciplined and staying in the bubble and doing everything right. This is a reward for those kids. And I know a lot of fans are going to be like, well, we shouldn't be doing that when we could get, you know, in the top 25 of of the college football playoff poll. If we had, you know, beaten Arizona 44 to six instead of 44 to 27. And okay, maybe. But what's more important, building depth or getting one extra little tiny data point for a college football poll in week one, week one? Whereas, you know, wouldn't you rather have guys getting built for depth? And, and because you never know if they have if they have one outbreak or something happens, like Scott was kind of pointing out with the Pac-12 protocols. If you get into a situation where now all of a sudden you're you're desperately thin to get guys, good was it that those guys got a chance to play against a number one offense? I'd say pretty good. And Scott, like, for example, I think, you know, getting film on Julius Irvin, you know, he struggled, but he hasn't played a lot of football. But just getting film on a guy like Julius Irvin, you know, for uh, them to go over with him and teaching moments, I thought it was huge. Yeah, it, it is. Getting the opportunity to say, all right, you you got to see what it's like out there. Now let's let's work on some of the things where your eyes need to be, what your reads need to be, what your keys need to be. Why did you make this decision? Why did you, why was your footwork like this? All those different things. It's, it's, it is absolutely invaluable for a guy like Julius Irvin who hasn't played that much football. He's played a little bit, but not that much to get him in there against the number one offense. As Chris said, I don't think you can, I don't think you can replicate that in practice. And it's different guys and different plays other than that. I mean, they've seen those. I mean, you play a scout team and play with freshmen. You've seen that offense every day in practice. So yep. just being able to see it on film and how they reacted to it. Mm-hmm. And um, these guys, I don't know if people understand this, but these guys have iPads. And the film guys have this stuff broken down within 
I mean, it's it's incredibly fast how soon they get filmed to these guys. Not and a guess. guy like Julius Irvin, before he even gets back to his dorm room, guess what? He's got every play that he was on the field for on his iPad to review. Yeah, it's and huge. it's not just the speed of it. It's the yeah. fact that they have them broken down by – they have it broken down by first and ten, uh, third down plays, third and long – they have it. They have it based on. I mean, by formation. They have it by single back. They have it by uh, uh, empty backfield. They have everything. Any way that you want to look up what you did and and how you reacted to different things, um, it's it, it's incredible how detailed and how how broken down they get these things. It's Mateo Mele got to go back to his room and look at what he did playing center in the fourth yep. quarter. And it was there by the time he got back to his dorm room. So yeah. that's what, you know, that's what I mean by just how big and how important that is. And like I said, it always blows me away how fast they're able to get that stuff to the, the guys on their iPads. Mm-hmm. Or, or, well, I'd, I also, I'd also add too that, you know, on top of the fact that they got a chance to play, now all of a sudden you might see a bit of an attitude change. You might, you know, cause you might see a guy who's kind of mired in the depth and he's going through the motions and he's not feeling great. Now all of a sudden he gets in the game and he gets a little taste of it. Man, you'd be surprised how things change. These kids are human. They're young. They, they want to get out there and they want to experience it and they want to be a part of it. And once you know that you're a part of that thing and you've got a little taste of it, man, I, I, you know, that just whets the appetite for these kids. Makes, makes you hungry. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, and it ups things in practice. The competition level goes up. It, it, you know, it's, it's literally the, 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 the tide that raises all the boats. You know what I mean? It's, it's literally the thing that those guys go there to play and they want to be a part of that. So to, again, to be a part of that and to do that. Yeah. It didn't look great on film, but I'm telling you, there's so many benefits that come through that. And even Chris Peterson talking about it yesterday during, during the, the honks with Softy and, and Coach Baird. You know, he talks about how important it is for those kids to get out there and experience it for their mental health, especially in 2020. You know, when they're just having to grind and it doesn't feel like there's any right. there's any hope in sight of anything going to happen. And now all of a sudden you get to put the pads on, you strap it up against a number one defense or number one offense. That's what these kids live for. And, and, and you'd be surprised how that all of a sudden boosts the mood for everybody. Quick word from our sponsors, and when we return, I want to talk about John Donovan's offense, and uh, we'll break that down a little bit more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. We're back. It's the guys from Dogman.com. I'm Kim Grinolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Utah, 7.30 Saturday night on ESPN. So tune in and just looking ahead to the weather. Looks like it's going to be a dry day. So hopefully the weather kind of holds out and we can get another dry day in Husky Stadium, selfishly, because I hate being out in the rain. But uh, uh, Utah uh, against USC, that was a cold weather game. So they're going to be a little bit more used to it than Arizona was coming in this past week. But, uh, again, uh, 
to be a dry day on Saturday. We'll see if that changes. 7.30 ESPN against Utah. But John Donovan, offense, a lot of us just had no clue what it was going to look like. Scott, give me your impressions of the offense at John Donovan's running. Um, anything that surprises you and anything that really stands out that you really like? A- absolutely nothing stand, uh surprises me because I've I've talked to recruits, I've related on to people, the the recruits, the players, the way they talked about it, that there's a lot of different ways they can do different things. They can they can run it if they need to run it. They can run it if they want to run it. They can throw it if they need to throw it. They can throw it if they want to throw it. So you know it it's 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 multiple, you know, they I'm sure people are hate hearing that that word, but it's multiple. They can do many different things out of it. And, um, what I liked the most out of it was how comfortable Dylan Morris looks in this offense. I love the fact that he feels like it, you can tell that the moment just isn't too big for him. He's going to go out there, do what he does. They got Kate Otten more involved last weekend. What was it? Eight catches, a hundred yards and the touchdown. And, and, uh, man, I mean, he looked unbelievable. That was his biggest day receiving the ball as a Husky. And, and I think you could see a lot more of that in this offense because one thing that Jimmy Lake said today, and I, I, it, I'm, I've always kind of known it, but I didn't, I've never heard a coach actually verbalize it was we're not going to force feed the ball to somebody. So what he meant by that was if, if, um, Puka Nakua is seeing double teams, our, our quarterbacks have a read where they can go to the next guy and the next guy. They're going to have two or three reads to go through and then they're either going to throw the ball away. They're going to tuck it and, and run or they're going to figure, they're going to find an open guy. And, and, and I love the fact that they're spreading the ball around a little bit there. You know, I don't think we're going to see any receivers on a regular basis catch seven, eight, nine balls for 120 yards. You're not going to, in this offense, you're, you're probably never going to see a wide receiver lead the nation in receiving. But what you're going to see is you're going to see an effective offense that gets the ball out and gets it down the field at times. Uh, you need to see Dylan Morris get more air under the ball so he can be a little more accurate with those long passes. I think that will come. Right. But, uh, this, this offense has weapons. It has speed. It has, it has guys who can go across the middle. It has size. You, the passing game to me is much more impressive than the running game because I knew they were going to have a good running game. I didn't know what the passing game was going to look like. Hey, Scott, you know, I think the one thing that maybe surprised a few people, but if they'd paid attention, uh, you're seeing a fullback. And if people had actually really paid attention to the commitment by Caden Jumper, it kind of gave you a little bit of an insight what they were going to do. And in the first game, the use of Jack Westover, then everybody's going, oh, that's why they took Caden Jumper. Talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, I mean, they didn't use him as much in this, in the second game. So I think it's just going to be depending on, on the matchups and how things go and what they want to end up doing. I mean, we saw, I don't remember even seeing, um, Jack Westover in there for more than 10 plays, um, on the night, but cause they, they use so many multiple wide receiver sets, but, um, you know, he's a guy who can, he, he even said it when we talked to him, I consider myself a tight end who can play some fullback, but he's playing more fullback and H back than he is as a true tight end. Um, and cause we saw Mark Redman come in as kind of the second tight end and then, uh, Jack Westover 
was in there as a, as a, um, you know, fullback. And then in the jumbo sets, you saw Corey Luciano come in as the sixth lineman or tight end, whatever you want to call him. So, uh, lots of different ways you can use that, that position. I love the fact that Jack Westover is getting an opportunity to make plays. Devin Culp is going to play that position whenever he gets back from whatever he's going, going through and doing on the, on the back end there. And then you got Caden Jumper who's going to be coming in and, and being used in that way. So lots of different ways they can use guys. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a guy like Chance Bogan who is already committed for the 2022 class, it wouldn't surprise me if a guy like him is eventually used in that role as well because you can do so many different things with that position. Uh, Chris, tell me a little bit about your uh, just uh, first thoughts on this offense within the first two games. Well, I think the thing about it is, is it, it, and Scott's right, I think when fans hear multiple, they kind of groan because it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, clearly you can look at it a couple different ways. Multiple in the sense of, is there a plan B after your plan A? So what your game plan is against a team like Oregon State would be to run the ball mercilessly. Maybe your plan A against Arizona was to be a little bit more balanced. Well, we saw that against Arizona because they ran for 233 yards. They threw for 239. Doesn't really get a lot more balanced than that, even though you had 26 passes to 45 runs, right? So, that you know, the... The play differential may not be as balanced, but when you look at the yards and you look at whatever they what, what they were able to do, it was certainly a lot more balanced than they were uh, than they were looking for against Oregon State. But what I take into it is that not only can they be multiple in terms of running the ball, passing the ball, whatever, but it's they can be multiple in terms of how they can impose what they want to do on the teams. So, like when Scott said, not only they they can run the ball when they need to run the ball. That sounds great, but you know how difficult that is, especially when defenses are scheming specifically to take away your strength? Well, we've seen that the strength of Washington's offense right now is the power run game, but Oregon State and Arizona weren't able to do that. I mean, they, Washington's averaging 250 yards on the ground right now per game. That, they haven't taken anything away. The bottom line is Washington's been able to impose themselves physically on teams, and that's probably the best part of being multiple because if you can be multiple like that then that means play action is now you're a huge huge weapon huge weapon for you and they can't rely on any one thing so that's one thing to consider the other thing to consider is this in a larger context of what it's like to be multiple well think about this in the context of what like don james would have thought about this if you can impose yourself physically on teams on offense and whatnot, you should be able to just win the game with your offense alone, regardless of how your defense may be playing on a particular day. So we would call that basically just outscoring teams. Yep. Well, Washington has the kind of defense where they don't necessarily have to worry about outscoring teams all the time. So when you have a functioning offense on top of a really, really good defense, now all of a sudden, if you come up against an evenly matched team, an opponent, and maybe their defense is really good too, and they're not necessarily bending as much, and they're taking some things away offensively, now all of a sudden you can play field position. You can play that game where, okay, maybe you're going to have to rely a little bit more on your defense than you normally would like to, but yep. you know what? You're multiple. You have that in your arsenal. And on top of it, if you're not giving the ball away, and just so people understand, 
and yes, it's only been two games, but Washington's the only team right now in FBS that has no that has not given a ball away. Zero turnovers. So when you're not giving the ball away, and the absolute worst you can say about the offense is, well, they're the offense is being held back, but you can still play field position. You well, can it, still play that part of it, the game. That that's to me that's multiple. You have multiple ways to attack, not just a defense, but a game plan in general. A lot of it, you know, we're seeing, you know, a few people talk about, you know, they'd like Washington to open it a little bit more and throw the ball a little bit more. And it kind of takes me back to after Isaiah Thomas' second year at Washington, you know, I was talking to him and I said, you know, you get criticized a lot because they say you always go to your left. And he just looked at me and gave me that. You know, the classic Isaiah Thomas smile. He goes, well, they ain't stopped me yet. <laughs> you know, so they haven't stopped Washington yet. So why not? I mean, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a running, running, if you can run the football, you're going to win some football games if you've got a good defense and Washington has that. But you know, Scott, I wanted to ask you, you know, the first couple of games we've seen, uh, Zion, Tupaola, Fatui really be able to get to the quarterback. Is that going to be able to continue, or is it just kind of an outlier? Um, I wouldn't say it's an outlier, but he's gonna. Teams are gonna be game planning for that. He's gonna get chipped by a, a back coming out of the backfield or a tight end. He's gonna have those things happen to him, and he's gonna learn ha- have to learn how to deal with it. I, I think if Savelle Smalls could come on and be a guy on the other side that really gets a lot of pressure, or maybe a Braylon Trice or uh, Cooper McDonald, or some of these other guys that they can use on the outside. I think that could help him a lot. They're not going to, he won't see as much attention, um, or, you know, he won't be singled out by the, by the other staffs. But, you know, Arizona, the thing, the thing about Arizona and, um, Oregon State, neither of them have great lines. You know, they're, they're not, I don't think they're porous and terrible, but they're not, you're not you're not looking at at a uh, um, group that's going to feature a lot of all conference kind of guys. So you know, let's see what he does against Utah, which typically has a good offensive line. I, I haven't looked too much at their depth chart just yet uh, to see how good their defense or their offensive line is, but that could be a definitely a test. Oregon State, or I'm sorry, Oregon has a really good offensive line they're just not real uh experienced at this point they struggled again in pass pro against ucla last weekend um stanford you know who's at right tackle that's where um zion usually comes from is the well i guess he's been coming from the left side more often than not but on the right side is foster sorrell for for stanford so it's going to be interesting to watch the way he develops i don't see him getting two sacks a game i mean right now what they've said is if you can get a sack a game or be very close to that. That's kind of where you want to be as a big time pass rusher. Um, right now, Zion is at two sacks per game this season. I, I don't see that continuing, but could, could he get, can, can he get consistent pressure? I think that's even bigger than, um, than getting sacks is, right. is getting consistent pressure. Cause if you're getting two sacks a game, that's a phenomenal game. But what you want is a guy who's going to get the quarterback off his spot, make him rush his throws, make him check down before he really wants to, so guys aren't getting open deep in the in the uh, secondary. So those are really the things that are more important. Is it as much as sacks are important and good, you you want a guy who can get consistent pressure. If you get a guy who gets two sacks a game but is lost the rest of the time, 
is it better that is it better to have those things happen or a guy who can get out of 20 pass attempts he's getting pressure 15 to 20 of those times that's well, what you really want yeah you know and i'm interested to see if they get some help if they get some reinforcements with leatu latu coming back yeah they're not going to I, okay. I from everything i've heard that is not happening well, it's something to look forward to if it does yeah. happen. But, you know, you also, you know, uh, brought up Savelle Smalls. And I know Savelle is a guy that they really like coming off the edge. But, Chris, I don't know if you noticed, he was in quite a bit. And he wasn't always on the edge. He was he was in the middle quite a bit. Well, he's he's an outside linebacker, Tim. I mean, that's where they're really playing him. I mean, they, they may try to roll him around in different spots depending yeah. on down and distance. But they do that with all their guys. They even do that with the defensive linemen. So, that that's not too surprising, but I think they're they're still trying to keep things as simple as they can for him right now, and I'm sure they'll be adding to his plate as the season goes on. I would add a couple things to to what you guys said about ZTF. Um, first of all, don't forget about Ryan Bowman. Um, you know, Bowman's a big part of, of of the reason why Zion's probably seen some one on one situations. It's because Bowman's a known entity, and everyone understands that he can cause some havoc on his own on the other side. Um, I remember that one um, series of downs against Arizona where Zion got the first sack on first down, and then on third down, Bowman got the sack on the same right tackle from Arizona on third down. Um, when you say, Scott, when you say Arizona's offensive line isn't too bad or whatever, I, they're horrible, awful. That right tackle will be seeing Washington's defensive ends and outside linebackers in his sleep for a year. I mean, it, it was... It was awful, absolutely awful. What I will say about that going forward, though, is that Utah's offensive line will be better than Oregon State's and Arizona's, and Stanford's should be better than Utah's, and then Oregon's should be conceivably or perceivably better than uh, Stanford. So you're starting to get a situation where when they talk about Zion and they talk about can he handle the better um, offensive lines as he goes forward, I think it sets up perfect for him. Because each week, I think progressively you can make an argument that he's going up against better and better and better offensive lines. So we'll see how he copes with that as uh, as the games go on. Just a reminder, if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will hook you up. For those that are listening that um, are not currently subscribers, we are offering, this will be the only time this year, it will be the best deal of the year if you're not currently a subscriber. 75% off the annual price. If you want to sign up for an annual subscription, it's 75% off the uh, regular rate, and this will be the only time we will be offering that. We do it maybe once a year, maybe. I don't know if we'll do it again next year or not. would like to get you guys signed up. Again, apologies for the... Uh, Outages, um, not really our fault. It was Amazon Web Services, big outage by Amazon. So the site's been really intermittent today. So we'll uh, hopefully have that back up running full steam ahead. So um, we got game week. And even though it's Thanksgiving, we'll still be busy and we'll still be working. So for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Happy Thanksgiving. Go dogs. <laughs>
Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.